My name is Matt Roosevelt. We're at the Valley Homeless Healthcare Clinic, and I am Annette Whitley's doctor and friend. Why, thank you. I appreciate that. You're a good man. My name is Annette Whitley. My age is 58. I met Dr. Roosevelt when I was in really bad need, and he just... He was there. He, he he was there, and I was in a bad way, and I'll never forget when I came around the corner out there in the hallway, and this man, I had only met him one time, he came around with a smile on his face and looked at me and called me an angel and said, you know, Annette, your name just came up on my computer for Housing 1000, and that was awesome. I'm so excited that you're here to do this with us today because you. you were like one of my first patients here. I was like a couple of weeks out of residency or out of training when I first met you, when you were um, in that tough state. And I think why uh, I've been so excited to get this opportunity is what I remember from that time and actually some time since then where you've been in, in a, a tough place is just being so impressed by how incredibly strong and resilient you are in the face of everything. And my hope is to capture how did you become such a strong, amazing person? And, and what's, in, what's in those roots that you know, we can share with other people? Because you have a lot of wisdom and you have a lot of strength. And I hope that I, hope I can learn something from this. So if I could ask one question to get us started... I would love to know what like the seven-year-old Annette Whitley was like. Like, what were you? What it's a Tuesday afternoon right now. What would you be doing when you were seven years old in East Palo Alto? Probably locked up in a room. Could be for days. It could be for the day. Uh, my dad was not a healthy person. He would lock us in the room so. A lot of my childhood was basically locked, uh, not given food, uh, only when he wanted to, and uh, and beaten a lot. So by being beaten and starved to death, he, I lost a lot of time in school because he didn't want me to go to school with all the bruises and welts and everything on my body, which I was so amazed I'll never forget this. That's why, you know, I've had CPS take my kids away. I know how that feels, you know, and the waiting to get them back, whether you're going to get them back or not. I, I am all for CPS because where were they when I was a seven-year-old kid? You know, no, we were we belonged to our parents, you know. So uh, my dad basically would beat the hell out of us, excuse my language, and then, you know, he wouldn't let us go to school. But I'll never forget Mr. Wilson, my second-grade principal up there at Cinnabar off of Blossom Hill Road. Um, I went to school, and my dad had hit me so hard across the face with a rubber hose and left welts and all over me and stuff, and he made me go to school. And I'll never forget. That's why I'm so glad they have CPS. I'll never forget. I can see his face right now. He called me into the office. They knew, you know, the cops were at my house every single day. They knew something was up, but nobody said anything. 
Nobody said anything. So I'll never forget, he asked me what had happened. And I knew if I told him that when I got home, my dad was going to kill me. You know, and what a thing that a little seven-year-old girl has to go through, you know. But I had to protect myself. But I'll never forget that look when he looked at me and he says, what happened? You know, and he knew darn well what had happened, you know. And I said, I fell down, you know, and mm-hmm. and I kept it at that, you mm-hmm. know. But nobody ever, ever reached out a hand, you know, no help or anything. Back then, they hid it. They hid it all. Mm-hmm. You know, what was in going on in the inside? No. Mm-hmm. No, it was, it, was, it was pretty bad. And I'm assuming that kind of continued through your childhood. Yes, I, I began to, um, well, the first drink I remember having, the first drink I really remember, I was five years old, and I was right over on Blossom Hill. I don't know how we got that house, but my dad had drove through the garage door. You know, the police were there, like, constantly. He came home drunk, drove through the garage door, came in the house, beating everybody up, kids running and jumping out the windows and stuff, and somebody called the police. I couldn't believe this either. Me and my brothers were jetting out the window, hitting the bed, bouncing and jumping, right? And my dad was over here, and he had beat my mom up so bad, her eye was hanging out of her head. And so here comes the cops, and they stop us kids. Stop, halt, you know? And then they come over to my dad. My dad was 6'6", about a 500-pound German man, and my mom was 4'11", probably 100 pounds. And the first question them cops did was, Mr. Childs, how are things going? You know, and with my mother standing there, and he says, oh, good, good, we're just having a little family problem. You know, and he took all of us kids and put us back in there with the animal that was trying to tear us up, you know, and just, thank God. (laughs) I don't know how I made it this far, but, you know, there's a reason for it, you know. Yes, I am tough. Yeah, I've let a lot of that go, but... I I was telling my psychologist the other day, when I am not drinking and using, I'm pretty level-headed. You know, yeah, I think about that stuff, you know, and it used to be really bad. I just had this, uh, what is that word, vendetta, out for my dad. And I noticed, I did, I actually forgave him one day. He was getting ready to die. I took care of him until he died. My brothers and sisters wouldn't even help, you know. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't, as much as I did not care for that man. And he couldn't stand me. He couldn't stand me. But I took care of him until the day he died. And then I forgave him. I forgave him for everything. Most of the time, I don't even think about him anymore. But you know what? I didn't. I really didn't. Because when I drink, he just comes right back out. You know, it's made me tough. It's made me strong. You know, but there are things that I'm dealing with now. You know, and a lot of people see me as being strong, but I still, when their doors are closed and stuff, the stuff really is bothering me. Thank God for Chris and people that are trying to help me, you know, talk and let it out and everything, which is really helping me a lot, you know, because I've been to a lot of psychiatrists, you know, and most of them are, wait, wait, (laughs) wait, I don't know. I had a guy tell me, you know, you you probably asked for it. You know, tell a little kid that. At 19, when I cut myself all up, you know, I was so depressed, drinking a lot, and just, uh, I wanted to go. Mm. And that's so sad. 
I mean, it's sad that a five-year-old girl is watching this. So I'm trying to figure out what is really going on here. So that day, after he drove through the garage and he beat everyone, he made me stay out there with him in the dining room. And he poured me a shot of Old Crow Whitsy. And I'll never forget this conversation. He asked me what had gone on that day and everything, you know. And uh, we all stuck to, you know, stories when he came home and this and that because, you know, my mom lied for us so much, you know, so we wouldn't get beaten and stuff. Um, but he's poured me a drink, and I remember the whole process standing there and thinking about what if I swallowed this? Because I remember every time he drank, he'd go, ah, like that. So I'm thinking, now, a five-year-old kid should be thinking these things. But this is all I've seen. And I swallowed that. Whew. It burnt going down. But I'll tell you what, I'll never forget that feeling. You know, my little neck got warm and my ears turned red. <laughs> and I felt like a little Superman. So by the time I was swallowing me and my mom, um, I realized I could steal from him. You know, before, he'd count every dime he had in, in the house every single day. But I realized he was getting worse and worse. So I started stealing bottles of Rainier Ale and Old Coral Whiskey. And then, like, when he'd lock us in the room, he'd lock me and my mom in the room together sometimes. And we started drinking together. I'd hide it in the drawers and stuff, you know, and, and we'd sit. That's how me and my mom started drinking together. And she was so lonesome and everything. It was wrong, yes. It's just like when I drink with my kid. You know, Zach's of age. I have drank with him, but it makes me feel like crap because I should be a better example for that kid, mm -hmm. you know, especially the way I drink, mm -hmm. you know, but all right, yeah. next. <laughs> well, I, I've I, got a lot of stories to yeah. tell you. You know, so uh, the first time I met you, going back to that moment, uh, the other interesting thing in my life was that I was <clears throat> preparing to have my second kid, right? I remember in the midst of all of the turmoil of that day, how many times you just poured out love. You just, oh, you're having a baby. Kids are the best. Oh, you're having a girl. Da, da, da. And then you were pouring out love to the clinic staff, um, alternating between threatening them, but mostly offering <laughs> love is what I recall. <laughs> and we all remember it as a loving moment. Where did you learn to love like that? Where do you, where do you, how, where does that come from? That has come, you know, I still have a problem with that. that. Even that word, you know, I used to walk around saying the only love that I really knew was having my two kids and my mother. But you guys, I've been coming to this clinic over, what, 12 years or something? And I remember Dr. Kwan and this little Spanish gal that worked in there. And I'll never forget Dr. Kwan. I came from Mariposa. A bunch of girls came down from Mariposa to get tested and everything. And uh, I'll never forget Dr. Kwan and I were talking that very first day. And he asked me of how I would like a job. You know, and he was, well, I said, a job? You know, <laughs> I'm a drug, dude. You know, and he says, uh, I said, what would I be doing? He says, well, I want somebody to pass out pamphlets. So this, they know that this clinic's back here. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that was nice, and I was going to do it, you know. But something fell through, and, of course, they didn't have enough money or something. But I was like, you know, right at that moment, that man saw something in me. And this, I have told more people. 
that you guys put that out. You put out something to me. You know, I can actually say, you know what, buddy? I love you. And I mean that. I mean that because I feel it coming from you. You know, I've lived out on the streets for so long and, you know, you can see it, you can feel it. No matter how I have come in here, you guys have never thrown me out. You've you've always been there to help me. You know, even when I tried to sit on Dr. Lay's lap. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who sits on the psychiatrist's lap drunk, right? I love you guys. And it's not a hater to you all. And then big guy that works at Valley Met, the guard. Yeah, the security guard. I kept yeah. punching him, and then they were trying to help me again. Cops came, and Kim's like, no, don't arrest her. Don't arrest her. You know, please. You know, and they never gave up. I say that. I feel that. Because that's what you guys give me. Yeah. You know, first day I met you, I tell everybody, this guy, when I came around that corner, I'll never forget, when you smiled, it was such a sincere, it's like you just glow, <laughs> you know, you do, you, when, you know, mm. and I can't, I bet you do have some cute little kids, too. <laughs> you know, yeah, I do, because <laughs> I, I do have yeah. heart, I have yeah. a lot of heart, I, you know, I care about people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I would like to be able to do something for those people in them board and care homes. Mm-hmm. That's awful. Mm-hmm. That's awful, mm-hmm. you know. That, people shouldn't have to live like that. I live better than that on the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's terrible to mm-hmm. live. And every one of them you talk to, the first thing they say is, oh, the food's so bad. Yeah. You know, it's sad. Mm-hmm. It's sad. But I do love you guys. It's the reason I do, because you show it. You mm-hmm. give it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to say sometimes, yeah. you know, but it's easy with you guys. So thank you, first of all. You're making me blush on this side of the microphone oh, over here. Look cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after we met, what you're talking about is that Libby and, you know, the clinic staff really um, worked with the Office of Supportive Housing here in Santa Clara County, and we were able to get you a housing voucher, right? Yes, you um, were. So let me ask you first, what was it like to be put in a house for the first time in that many <laughs> oh years? Oh, my God. Or it was an apartment, I guess, but a Oh, my a place, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I'm telling a true story. I want to tell this truthfully. Yeah. Well, off and on, 20 years out on the streets, you know, cement, cardboards, pallet beds, then when I was offered a house, oh my God, I remember I walked up here. Now who goes to an interview drunk to see a house? Well, I did. And anyway, so I walked in. Oh, this is beautiful. You know, I walked around in circles and I was crying going, you mean I can have this? Mm-hmm. I can have this? And they kept going, yeah, yeah. You know, and then I looked and I started crying. I go, she goes, what's wrong in that? I go, what about my friend Fernando? You know, it was like, but he's had many chances, but see how I am. So he kind of wanted to move in and, and, you know, ruin it for me, which I didn't let him, mm-hmm. you know. And I do believe that's why a lot of people do not want to rent to the homeless. And it's true because there are a lot of people who bring their friends and they get thrown out. Not me, not me. <laughs> I appreciate my home. Uh, my home should be in better homes and gardens, you know. But it was beautiful. But it took me a good six months 
a good six months to even realize that that place was mine. Because I'd been out on the streets for a long. Some camps, you got to get up, go early, and come back late. And that's what I was doing with that house. It took me a long time to quit carrying my backpack. Yeah. Remember, I used to come with a change of clothes because it was habit. Mm-hmm. You know, and then finally, one day it was really hot outside. And I said, oh, my God, I am so tired because I used to go sit by McDonald's and drink coffee all day. Mm-hmm. And I said, Annette, you got a place to go to. And that's the first time I went to the house, uh, went in, turned the phone off, locked the door. I love the door in the toilet. Oh, my God. That's my favorite part. Locked the door, and uh, I slept for three days. Never answered the phone or anything. And then I got used to it. And I'm a clean freak because, you know, when I'm drinking or using I may not bathe for six months. But I'll tell you what, when you go in my house... It's spotless. It is spotless because I appreciate it. So uh, we see that a lot where people struggle early on in housing. What did housing do for you in all of the rest of your life? Um, Because you have become much healthier since being housed. For instance, just looking at it as a doctor, you have changed your relationships some. So what? how did housing do that? Like what is it about housing that's, and we see this at this clinic that when we get people housed, it's magic. What's the magic that makes people turn around when they get housed? What it is is you've been living in hell for so long, you know, that it's almost like a mystery. You know, she kept saying, you can have this. It's like, I can have this? Because I thought I would be out there in the jungles, on the tracks, forever. Mm-hmm. Forever. You know, so... People like me that, you know, appreciate it and keep it clean and everything. That's more love than you can give your husband, which I don't have one. You know? <laughs> and now I say that I look at it as a early retirement, mm-hmm. you know, a place to go to retire, mm-hmm. you know, settle down. I'm getting old. I hope when they place me, it's downstairs. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. yeah. I think that was another piece of your story, right? How much alcohol was part of your life, right? And the alcohol didn't go away right away when you got housed, right? So when did that change occur? And what was the change for you? That was awful. That was an awful moment because I hate breaking my promises. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like when you say, be here, I'm here on time because I worked and I know, you know, but... I lasted about six months. I, you know, I was sober, drinking coffee, and then, thank God, I got another routine now. You know, but I promised Monju, she goes, Annette, don't drink, and I said, Oh, I won't. And that first drink, hiding behind that door, going, Oh, nobody alone, you know. And it was awful. It was an awful feeling because I had lied to her, and and I lied to myself. You know, even though I was keeping it up and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I was in there drunk, depressed, you know, and then I started dragging people in, which is a no-no. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people would come in off the streets and go, look at the place and go, wow, you, yeah, because my place is clean. I, I like a clean place to live in, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, took six months and then I started drinking. Okay. I pray to God. I do. I, you know. I'm through. I'm through. After what happened to me, mm-hmm. that was a real big eye-opener. Mm-hmm. You know, that was God saying, Annette, and he didn't let me go either. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget to look on the doctor's face. 
the one that saved me. Because most recovery places I've been in, I have paid a lot of money out of my own pocket. And then I walk right out. I have no routine, nothing. But this time, I'm into the AA, got me a sponsor. I got you guys. You know, I got momentum. You know, I'm hooked up. I did my outpatient and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't do this no more. No. What else should we know about you? I am, I'm a very, very giving person. I'm a, it's, it's funny. I, when I'm drinking, dear for story, but it's funny. If I like you, I like helping people. And, uh, you know, and I usually land jobs. Like I landed a job at Little Orchard. You know, who better to have that job than a homeless person? I loved my job there, you know. And Mariposa, mm-hmm. you know, I like to help and listen to people. Like when I worked in Mariposa, you know, the girls, people need to be listened to, you know, because people that I listen to call me friend. You know, they'll, they'll actually call me friend. Like people say the biggest bum and drunk on the street would be the most interesting person to listen to, and I've listened to a few of them. And they're not any different than me. You know, I've been in that lonesome spot, you know, hiding and no one to talk to and, you know, thinking it was okay. No, no. I, you, everybody needs somebody to talk to. If not, what a lonesome world. You know, I used to go around and go, I don't need anybody. I can take care of myself. What a lie. <laughs> you know, look at the mess I've got myself into. And I think that comes out of me because... You know, for so many years as a child, you know, hiding in the closet, no one to talk to, you know, and then the drinking made it worse, you know, to where I just sit there by myself and talk to things that weren't there, and it, it got pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But I, I've i been asked to be a counselor, mm-hmm. you know. I would like to get into something to help the people, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a very caring, helping person. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, but when I drink, the whole world falls apart. Yeah, badly. But see, when I'm not drinking, I don't get in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Not at all. You know, I avoid getting into things around people. You know, I'm a very good patient and a friend. Yeah. That is for and sure. And I can babysit your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to my wife In case you it. and the uh, wife want to go on honeymoon. <laughs> Another one. You have two kids, is that right? I do. Where are they now? Are they in your life? Uh, my son, Zach, lives across the street from the clinic, sometimes <laughs> with his girlfriend. After I, ha- I had 14 years clean to suburb, and uh, I relapsed after that, and my mom took Zach to Kentucky with her. I didn't see him for five years, but he came back looking for me. And so, um, yes, my, Zach and I get along great. He's such a gentleman. He is. I, I did a good job with him. My son, Michael, got taken away with social service, yeah. you know. And Michael, um, it bothers me. I should have been there. What these guys are doing for my son, I should have been there and done it. You know, and the drugs just took over. And that is sad. It makes me sick just thinking that a drug and a bottle was more important than my son. That's how dangerous this disease is. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you sober up and all those things. You know, my son will be 18. I haven't seen him in 10 years. 
when I left that day, I said, bye, Michael. I'll see you later. And he goes, I love you, Mom. That sticks in my head. You know, so I'm hoping and praying to God. And 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 I'll have a home. Zach used to come at the train tracks and look for me. And him turning around, walking away, crying and stuff, you know. Well, hope to God, this place. And then maybe Michael might want to come and see Mom. At least I'll have a place. He can come in. I can offer him a soda. You know, maybe a chicken leg or something. Whatever's in the refrigerator, you know. Um, because I do. I want that. I want that. I want that time to ask for Michael's forgiveness. I really do. You know, I think about it every day. And some girl showed me pictures of him. Oh, my God. He's gorgeous. <laughs> he's gorgeous and very active. Mm -hmm. Water polo. Uh, he plays trumpet, piano. You know, very good. Yeah. Very good. And I just want that time for him to come in. Yeah. yeah. What's something that you'd want to tell him? Oh, uh, whoa. Um, wow. Forgive me. Please forgive me. You know, um, I don't know. Honey. I, I really don't know. You know, like when Zach came back and here stood the skinny little kid. I hadn't seen him in five years, not talked to him or anything. And I looked at Zach and I go, honey, please forgive me. And my son said, I love him to death. He looked at me and he said, mom. It's too hard to be mad at somebody. I love you. You know, so, you know, and Michael's a whole different person. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. You know, Zach says he's asked about me and stuff. You know, God, he's almost 6'4", too. That's a good question. I'll get back to you because <laughs> he will come and see me. Mm -hmm. And it, We often notice that at the homeless clinic, our patients kind of live inverted lives in a way where their younger years are not their healthiest years. And then they find health and happiness and hope later on. And when most people are grumbling about their age, our patients are finally feeling like they're living again. What are you looking forward to in your life? Well, it's, it's, uh, I've been thinking this is really, uh, a weird thought, but you know, my mom lived to be 86 and I definitely have her genes. So I figure I got like 20 more years to live. And if you look at it, 20 years ain't nothing. I'll be dead. You'll never see me again. But you're right. I do. I feel very healthy at this moment at 58 years old. And I feel good with myself. And that is kind of different. Because when you're younger, you're running amok. And then you get smarter. And, you know, you want to calm down. That's why I want a house. You know, I want comfort. I, you know, I want health. Like my dad used to say, even as dingy as he was, he goes, if you don't have your health, you don't have nothing. And you guys have told me everything I've been through that I am in pretty good shape for 58 years old. That's why I quit smoking, see? Finally, <laughs> two, I'm going on three months or something, you know? I mean, because, yeah, my health. And you're right, I see it a lot. I've seen a lot of these clients out here that I've known for years, you know. Yeah, and Ed, I quit smoking too. Yeah, I quit smoking. I quit smoking, you know. Because I think as we get older, we start thinking, it all depends on how you use it, yeah. you know. Yeah, so how are you going to use it? What else are you going to do? Um, I'm going to learn to skateboard like Dr. Craigman. <laughs> <laughs>
right, get back on my bicycle, just do healthy and fun things. Yeah. You know, I've never done that. It was funny. Zach and I met one day, and he goes, let's go miniature golf. And we used to go over there when he was a little kid, right? And I kept going, no, I can't go. I can't. I got to get back to that house. He goes, what time do you have to be in? I go, oh, at a certain time. He goes, Mom, you got like four hours. Let's go. <laughs> because it's been so long, I didn't know how to have fun. All I know is to survive, mm-hmm. you know. And most of the time in the past, nothing's fun. It's just maintenance, you know. Mm-hmm. And when he said that we had the be- we laughed and had a great time, you know. You know, so I got to start appreciating that. Mm-hmm. You know, getting out. Maybe I can't dance, but maybe get out and go dance with somebody. Or you know, I don't have to be drunk and loaded to to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. And thank you so much for You're sharing your story. I love you guys to death. We love you too. Is there anything you want to close out with? I thank you and appreciate you asking me. You know, um, it's weird. I am a receiver. Most of the time I'm listening to people, you know, but since I've been seeing Chris and the lady at Momentum and stuff, and I can trust them, it feels good to talk. You know, I could tell you stories that make your hair fall out, you know, but, you know, just what I've told you is enough to know that, you know, life ain't as bad, you know, and you better appreciate what you got when you got it. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thank you. How's the kids and the wife?